Hello everyone, my name is Richard. And I am Wesley, and welcome to today's episode of Coffee's On. Today, we're going to be talking not just about coffee, but why everyone drinks coffee, or why they started drinking it in the first place, and that is caffeine. That's right. Today's episode is all about caffeine. What it is, what it does to your body, where it comes from, its health benefits and detriments, and its cultural impact. Plus, we answer and debunk some myths about caffeine along the way. But before we begin, we first have to try some coffee. And today, we're doing something special with the theme of our episode. We will be trying the infamous Death Wish Coffee. Death Wish Coffee was founded in 2012 by Mike Brown while working at a coffee shop in Saratoga Springs, New York, uh, which is where they are still headquartered out of. He wanted to create a blend that would really wake up and get his customers going in the morning. So, using a combination of select Robusta and Arabica beans and a slower roasting method, he was able to create Death Wish Coffee, which is the world's strongest coffee, or so they claim. They say it has twice the strength of a normal cup of coffee. So, obviously, we're going to try this coffee because our episode is of all about caffeine. But I will say this is going to be an interesting blend to try. There aren't any flavor profiles for this coffee, at least there aren't really on the bag, and all it talks about is how strong it is. However, we do know it's a dark roast, so the flavors are probably going to be on that spectrum. Now, Death Wish is clearly a coffee made for drip brewers, not for, for manual brewers like a V60. But we're still going to make it this way because we want to see what flavors we can actually find in it. So, Wesley, what did you taste? Well, besides the fact that I'm shaking right now, I hate <laughs> lots. You know, the first thing, okay, I like to smell the beans before we brew, just because I think it's important to note, for those of you, you know, listening, Taste is mostly made up of smell. So I really think your smell receptors should get in there. So what I smelled was lots of kind of like carbon and like woods and kind of like I even kind of got some tobacco in mm -hmm. there, like just lots of really dark woodsy plants. Um, the other thing I got was just this hint of sweetness at the end. And it reminds me of this uh, candy that's from Japan and it's called Kapiko and it's a little caffeinated coffee hard candy like a Werther's or something we'd have here and they're really delicious but that's what I got from the smell um did you get anything from smell like nothing different than out at you what I'm so you... hyper <laughs> <laughs> nothing different than what you smelled I actually got almost even a little bit of tar like there's yeah. like yeah it's like the smell that when almost like when you burn like the bag that it came in sure. kind of a thing that kind of chemically like burnt smell yeah. um not in a bad way no. i it, like blended with all the other flavors but i definitely got a little whiff of that as well but yes. i did get a sweet aftertaste aftertaste like you did yeah on the taste so uh tasting it from the v60 on a drip or i'm sorry from the v60 black the first thing i get is that it is wildly bitter like it tastes like someone crushed up a no-dose and threw that in my cup of coffee. Like, it's very bitter. But it's also lingering. And when bitter stays, then it kind of starts to break down, I feel, into its flavor. So what I got later was really, like, the chocolatey idea, which makes sense. So, like, it's got a lot of, like, the bitter chocolate flavor. I did get some, like, 
burnt flavor in there and not burnt like we burned it but burnt is in some coffee actually does have kind of like a burnt toast or like a a smoky flavor to it um and the last thing i really noticed when it's just a cup of black coffee is that it's very like thick it's very it's not like last time when we had the intelligentsia which was like as thin as water this is like cowboy coffee almost so it's very chewy that's one of the words that they use. I like to think it's very coating of the mouth. Like it, it's there. Like it lingers. You, it's not just like you take a swig of it and it's gone. <clears throat> yeah. And then with half and half, I thought it tasted like cherries. I got some cherries in there. Uh, it, it's monumentally thick with half and half. Like it is like drinking something from Starbucks. Yeah. But yeah, not to say that this tastes like Starbucks. But yeah, it's got that just body. Yeah, that coffee house like to go cup. Yeah, body. like it's not just what you get out of your morning out exactly. of your Mr. Coffee Maker. Yeah, no, I I agree with a lot of those. I didn't get as much bitterness um, from the first taste. I think if I did, it was the very first sip, and then after that, it like it just kind of presented itself, and sure. then after that, it gave me the rest of the flavors. Uh, I also smelled caramel. Um, like smelled it like after not after we brewed it Mm -hmm. before we took our first first sip i smelled caramel interesting Uh, so i got that i got the smoke the chocolate the toast flavors um i got almost no fruit flavors from this one myself Mm. um even with milk um but i did get that kind of molasses brown sugar and that kind of came with the body of it like it, it just not so much that it tasted like that it just reminded me i wonder if that kind of burnt sweetness i'm thinking i wonder if i'm because bread to me is sweet. So I wonder if I'm thinking I should be thinking more caramely than toast. Because there is kind of that like burnt sweetness to it mm-hmm. in the smell even too. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting too that like you said about the intelligentsia that we had last week that it is that it was almost like water compared to this. And yeah. uh, we've talked a little bit about how we actually do the brewing on the V60. It is the same way every time. It's the same grams. It's 25 grams of uh, coffee beans that we grind up and use fresh. And then it's the same amount of water pour- poured in the same way every single time. And it tastes, the thickness of it is just so much different there's just such a big difference between yeah. the two. Well, and you had even mentioned when we were watching it kind of drip down into the V60 that it it was darker than most pots of coffee. It almost looks like a prop pot of coffee. But it absolutely is. It was incredibly dark, incredibly thick. I mean, it, it felt heavier when I was pouring mm-hmm. uh, the coffee into our mugs. It It's just, it's incredible to me that the same amount of grounds used the same amount of water poured over the same time all that kind of stuff produced a very different texture almost mm-hmm. um cup of coffee yeah uh, just because this is such a dark roast i will say really the only kind of taste flavor profile they have on the bag is uh they say this unique roast has been formulated for a smooth never bitter taste with <laughs> okay. subtle notes of cherry and chocolate so you did get the okay, cherry and sure. the chocolate it t- okay i should say they probably intend for people to drink this with an additive yes like if it's made for home consumption they're probably assuming or on the go they or put milk like or creamer or you know uh half and half whatever mm-hmm. so like with cream in mine or half and half i call half and half cream because i'm from the midwest um 
it is not really that bitter. It no. is pretty smooth. It's actually, down. I got a lot of sweetness it. when I put milk into yeah, it. I mean, oh, God, the um, half and half brightens it so yeah. much. Yeah. Uh, I said, like, after I put milk in it, that it tasted very much like a cappuccino or a cortado. Mm-hmm. Um, it, I immediately started tasting more espresso than I did, like, a standard cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a very, like big difference i cannot get over how caffeinated i am right now like (laughs) i haven't been this wired in a long time and i drink coffee multiple cups of coffee every day yeah like oh this is intense and this is this is a lot more i mean you know the other thing too though i kind of pulled back on my coffee this morning because i knew we were trying this as did i so that might be why yeah i'm also uh my eyes are really alive right now. I'm like tapping my fingers. I'm so hyper. I'm like, I will say before we did this episode, I, I was telling uh, one of my coworkers that, hey, we're going to test this. He's like, oh, I've had that before. I'm like, what was your experience? Yeah. Like not just so much the flavor, but like your experience, because it's supposed to be the world's strongest cup of coffee. Right. And he was just like the first time I had it, like it was I think his brother or something like that showed it to him or a college roommate and he he was like what did you feed me like he was like he was he was shaking he's like oh my heart rate usually rests at this kind of normal thing it was way up here like i actually checked my pulse i was like it was beating oh i can feel my heart beating right now yeah so i don't know someone who had a heart condition when he was younger i'm a little worried yeah listeners i made six cups of this in the drip maker too because richard and i usually nurse cups of coffee while we do this show because it doesn't just take an hour on it. But back to like the f- profiles of flavor and all that. I definitely think this is a good cup of coffee. Absolutely. Like this is when I think of, ah, that's the coffee flavor I want to have. Like, the, you know what this, this is? is? This is diner coffee. Like it's got I think that... it's too thick to be diner coffee. Ooh, I think know, diner though, coffee is really, th- is thinner than this. But flavor wise, yes. Flavor wise, it's definitely got that, you know, I, I always think diner coffee is not meant to be drank black because it is usually brewed a little bit stronger than like or ever and it's usually kind of cheaper so um not to say that that's bad but this definitely has that quality of like you expect to get your pickup from this this particular cup of coffee see this to me tastes like the coffee that is the dark roast that is brewed at a coffee shop close to a college yeah, this is like, like the that's, Java coffee yeah, we had in uh, college. This makes me think of the mill probably more than anything personally. But oh, you liked the mill. I like the mill too. Yeah, I like Mojava a lot though. Shout yeah. out! These are our coffee shops in our hometowns. This is not Chicago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that's that's exactly what I think of with this yeah. cup of coffee. I like it. I definitely. Um, me too. I'll probably have to like blend it with other coffees so I, it's not as strong. This will be it. my when I return to the workforce. Yeah coffee four in the morning four in the morning breakfast shifts yeah all right now that we've calmed down a bit from this hyper caffeinated cup of coffee and come back to reality it is time to tell you all about caffeine so Today, we are posing some questions that I literally pulled from the internet after googling caffeine. These were the most common questions I found people asking, so we decided to answer them. And the first one is, what is caffeine? Wesley? Well, Richard, this actually is a little bit from my brother, too. I need to give him credit because he provided me with some scientific definitions because he is a chemical engineering major. 
I was a theater major. So caffeine, uh, caffeine is an organic chemical that belongs to the class of chemicals called purine alkaloids. It occurs in several plant species, most notably uh, cocoa, tea, or cacao, probably, tea, yerba mate, guarana, and coffee. Caffeine is considered a stimulant, and how it works to make us feel energized is by working off of the chemical adenosine. Adenosine is a byproduct that is created when the neurons in your brain are continually firing off when you're awake. So the neurons in your brain are essentially what's keeping you going and moving you forward. But when this byproduct of adenosine gets too high, your brain will start to slow down and dilate the blood vessels, which make you feel sleepy and want to go to bed. What then caffeine does is it blocks those receptors, or more accurately, it binds to the adenosine receptors and it makes them inactive. So this kind of turns off the tired feeling for a little bit and will help you to feel more alert, even if your adenosine levels are elevated. So that could mean you could be exhausted mm-hmm. and Caffeine will still lift you momentarily. Caffeine can do this because it has a really similar molecular structure to adenosine. It's most notably in its two nitrogen rings, which is what allows it to bind to the adenosine receptor. So it's almost a form of mimicry. and Exactly. Yeah. So it just kind of covers the receptors and doesn't allow you to get tired, which is also why you have such a big crash after the caffeine wears yeah. off because all that adenosine bouncing around in your system can now latch on Mm -hmm. and it just makes you want to sleep. It's not so much that caffeine actually perks you up, but it blocks the chemical in your body that tells you or allows you to rest. So because of this, when your body is telling itself not to rest, even at high levels of adenosine, it can start to circulate more cortisol and adrenaline. I think the idea is that because your body is not being allowed to rest, it's saying like, okay, then it's the flight option. It's the fight or flight option. Uh So we're going to choose one of those and send the adrenaline in. So not only is it not is caffeine telling your body to not rest, but it's tricking it into thinking it needs to create adrenaline yeah. to keep going. And that can, I feel like that can get dangerous at points too, because it, when your body starts to run purely on adrenaline, it like, you know, that can, it, it, it just fucks you up. I feel like yeah. <laughs> I'll have to believe that. <laughs> um, it can, it, it can, you can just have that. Go, it gets go, to be go a lot. Crash. Like you haven't slept in too long type mm-hmm. of thing. And I, the other thing to keep in mind here too, and we'll get into this with the health portion of it, but if you're going to have that much caffeine or if the caffeine is really going to kick your body into motion and start causing this dr- rush of adrenaline, you better have something to do. Yeah. Otherwise, your body is going to sit there. If you're just going to sit there and do nothing about it, then your your body is going to freak out. You're going to yeah. get the jitters. You're going to start, you know, tapping your toes and your fingers and and getting a little ang- anxiety, anxiety and yeah. all that kind of stuff. Uh, Yeah. So although with like the correct appropriate, you know, thing having a combination of the like inhibited rest receptors and the increase in cortisol and adrenaline it can leave you with a the idea is it leaves you with the general feeling of alertness focus and energy which is what most of us do we we do get a decent enough amount of sleep that it isn't really hurting us basically yeah and we're we're usually not consuming enough at a time where it's like overpowering right unless you drink two cups of this coffee yep my goodness so that's basically kind of the chemically things of caffeine. We are not chemists, but at the same time, what we're trying to tell you is that it is not caffeine that makes you awake. Caffeine 
keeps you awake rather than makes you awake. Because I feel like there is that kind of like nomenclature where caffeine is the pick me up. And it's like it is, but it it there's more to it than just you drink a cup of coffee and you become more awake. There's yes. more to it than that. Yeah. But. You drink a cup of coffee and your body says, oh, I'm not allowed to rest. Better yeah. keep going. Yeah. Exactly. Or even then it could be, a th I think of it as trickery where it's like, oh, okay, well, we're just going to keep making adenosine even though like we're, whatever's happening is happening because obviously we're not resting. So yes, <laughs> but, but when we're ready to rest, we're going to rest. Hard. Yeah. It's like, you better be ready. Yeah. <laughs> you better, there better be a bed there. Yeah. Caffeine. Interesting. It's got, it's a lot more intricate, I think, than I give it credit and things like that. And you know. Yeah, but Richard, I want you to say the next thing now because I'm starting to crash. <laughs> <laughs> take a few more sips yeah, of that I need uh, to, Death Wish coffee. Yeah, you go ahead and take the next one. Yes, so the next big question that I found is how was it discovered? Because as we know, like coffee had, the effects of coffee and tea had been known for like thousands of years uh, or at least 8,000 years, right. a little bit more. Um, but it wasn't until around the 1800s, early 1800s, that caffeine as a chemical was actually discovered. You know, the science of, of chemicals was actually being, um, you know, put to use. And of course, they probably didn't know that because they literally didn't have the technology to right. pull uh, extracts of chemicals out of things. Um, but I love the story because it involves um, a cat, a dead, potentially deadly toxin, and the German poet Goethe. <laughs> which is why i like this story so um this brings us to germany in 1818 at the university of Jena, where we meet this chemist jw doberiner who is a faculty advisor or the equivalent of the time to friedlieb ferdinand runge long name we'll just call him runge from I now on the name friedlieb it's yeah, really friedlieb. pleasing to read yes friedlieb i think that means free love if i'm not mistaken I could be wrong I about that. German. Anyway, um, so Runga had been working on an analysis and dissertation of the toxic chemical atropine, uh, commonly found in henbane and deadly nightshade. So atropine inhibits the muscle movements by blocking the neurotransmitter acetylcholine, I believe. It's acetylcholine. Acetylcholine, which uh, activates muscle. So if you've heard the term uh, to atrophy, this is where we get that. That's okay, the chemical that does that. Sure. Uh, so his experiment was uh, analyzed by using small droplets in the eyes of a cat. Yes. So there's the cat, you know, when before. Uh, this is in an age when, okay. Peta stepped well, in. Well, this say, is also in an era when they believed animals couldn't feel pain. That was yes. a pretty commonly accepted belief back then. So he dropped these uh, droplets in the eyes of a cat of uh, atropine to see how the eyes dilated from exposure to the chemical. Um, and he actually stumbled onto this uh, revelation while he was apprenticing in his uncle's pharmacy when he accidentally got juice of henbane, uh, of the henbane plant in his eye and noticed how much his cornea is contracted. And then he became Dave. henbane Bane. man. <laughs> <laughs> Just touching people and they fall limp. <laughs> they, become, they become a deadly nightshade. Yes. They become an eggplant. <laughs> That's not a deadly nightshade. Yes. It is a nightshade, Bane. though. <laughs> I think you need to drink more water, Wesley. <laughs> <laughs> so this particular dissertation obviously has nothing to do with caffeine. However, 
a good friend of Dr. Doberiner, so again, uh, Runge's faculty advisor, is the now-famous German poet Johann Wolfgang von Goethe. Uh, so later in his career, Goethe had taken a major interest in science, specifically in chemistry, and on this particular visit, um, Doberiner, uh, having dinner with Goethe, invited uh, Runge to have dinner with with uh, the two uh, older, older guys, uh, so Runga could show his experiment to Goethe okay. about the atropine. So pretty much he brought the cat, he brought the chemicals, he wanted to show him. He's like, hey, this look what I cat. found. You know, <laughs> I don't know if it was the same cat or different cats, but, you know, uh, essentially Doberina wanted to show off his student to um, Goethe, who not only took an interest in science, but also probably gave a lot of money to as sure. well to universities for further development so it's kind of like i'm going to show off my best students so you give our university money that makes sense yes so um goethe was very impressed by the experiment um and the overall dissertation so he probably gave some money and he also granted a gift to runga of a small box of rare arabica coffee beans in the hope that runga would analyze the chemistry of the beans uh, so I, it, the other thing I found is that Goethe would occasionally travel, or not occasionally, he would always travel with coffee beans. Sure. He, he loved it that much that he always traveled with a little bit of it, because at that time, early 1800s, you never knew where you might be able to get well, a hold a, of it. He's a, he's a, what, a writer and philosopher, so... Yeah. So, but obviously you never know where you're going to travel if they're going to have access to it, sure. so you just bring your own. Uh, That's so fascinating to me, because like... In the first episode, we talked about how coffee became this kind of a widely available thing. But at the same time, it's like widely available, I feel like, in major metropolis cities, mm -hmm. like not like just Port any cities or um, the uh, beginnings of Paris first world or, you know, yeah, countries, yeah, like for developed sure. economies, all that kind of stuff. But if you were to go to just kind of like rinky dinky wherever in Europe, that makes sense. It's like, oh, they probably don't have that. Yeah. type of thing but this here. is a major you know chemical or chemistry university in germany like obviously they have money it's probably closer yeah. to a town sure. i didn't actually look up what town the university of Jena is in uh, we could probably find that to give you an idea of where it's close to uh but in any case so he gave the coffee beans to runga and though there is isn't in Jena, germany Jena, and it germany. is a public university that is still open wow very interesting so coffee or it's caffeine. 24 hours, <laughs> according to Google. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, there wasn't really much information. There aren't, uh, I couldn't find any like notes on how he got mm -hmm. to finding the extract. But it is said that within months of receiving the gift of the coffee beans, Runga had successfully created the first pure extract of caffeine. I might actually be able to provide an answer to this question That'd for be you. Great. Because one of the projects my brother had to do for one of his first chemistry classes in college was isolate caffeine. Because it's very easy to do. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's a simple lab to learn how to write your labs. That's how he explained it. But he said that essentially... You go through just these different chemical di like chemical extraction processes until you're left with this white powdery substance mm -hmm. that is pure caffeine. caffeine. Wow. And I forgot what he's how he said you do it. there. You know, lots of like multisyllabic words I don't understand, mm -hmm. but basically it's not difficult. It is not difficult at all <clears throat> to isolate pure caffeine. It's a very commonly taught chemical process to students now. Interesting. Yeah. That's really cool. I thought that too, because I was like, oh, that's so interesting, you know, and he, my brother's a huge coffee snob. And so he's like, yeah, it was cool to like do kind of like a, like a 
an, a science lab that was still chemistry, but it wasn't, you know, it was like the learning lab. It's like when we had to take liberal arts seminar in college and learn yeah. how to write papers. Yeah. That's really fun. Uh, yeah, I just, I like this story. I like that um, pretty much he just had to be handed a, a bag of coffee and say, figure it out. And he went yeah. to work and figured it out. And that's how we know what caffeine is. Like, and I'm sure we would have gotten there at some point. You yeah. know, science during this era, so during the 1800s, was really starting to boom, um, especially chemical science, chemistry. Um, people trying to figure out how, you know, this is where the boom in medicine came from, uh, elixirs, all that kind of stuff. So I'm sure it would have gotten there eventually. Um, right. I just love that it happened to be, you know, this german university student and he meets uh johann von goethe uh wolfgang von goethe and goethe's like hey that was a cool uh thing you little you did there with the cat here's some coffee beans figure this out that's such a gift from i'm sure that's exactly how the exchange was goethe like considered an eccentric in germany i wonder if because i feel like celebrities you know people of status Mm -hmm. always give either one incredibly inconvenient gifts like puppies or B, like, here's this, you know, herb or something from the off-distance land you'll never find here. Like, yes. they'll, they'll give kind of, like, look at these highly collectible well, items Well, it said a, a rare mix of Arabica beans. Maybe it was so. Death Wish. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is a... Death Wish is a combination of Arabica and Robusta beans. Ah, okay. So, yeah. So maybe he was just traveling with this special thing that he got from the east or got from the you know as a gift somewhere sure um and then he decided to hand down the gift and because he knew that the person he was giving it to would actually do something spectacular with it other than just you know brew it into coffee sure sure well i also wonder if he did make any coffee from the beans that were given him i would hope if he was a writer worth his salt he would be addicted to coffee yeah So now that we know what coffee is and know its discovery, like how it was actually figured out from coffee, now we're going to kind of reverse engineer that and go into the question, why do we associate it with coffee? Sure. So thankfully, with the story of caffeine's discovery, we know that coffee came before caffeine, or at least the discovery and isolation of pure caffeine. But what I find really incredible is that coffee had been consumed for like hundreds, if not like thousands of years before anyone was really like, hey, what about this makes us feel the way we do? Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. I think that it's definitely a signal of the mythical, you know, how coffee was kind of this like it was given through, you know, Sufis and monks consumed it at first and this idea that this is kind of like you said, like an elixir, so to speak, of exactly. energy. And the first recordings of what we think are the first recordings of the discovery of coffee, or not recordings, but just tales of the discovery of coffee, is that a shepherd had goats that ate the berry and got hyper and really alert. So Ooh. our first discovery of coffee is associated with alertness, right. uh, with, with caffeine being associated with it. Yeah. Well, we may not know if there were other attempts to find this out. If they if there were, they weren't recorded. So we don't know that. But, I, you know, I think it's amazing that we've only known about caffeine as the major factor of coffee's effects on us 
for really like basically the last what I consider the modern era basically you know right before the like pre-industrial revolution up to now and like and you know that's with a lot of stuff though too I mean dogs plants you know that was the age of you know we have to make these giant you know like like mundi encyclopedia where it's every plant in the world we know and I think it's interesting that what you're saying though, it, like that strange thing of like, yeah, coffee's been, it's like, it wasn't new, but I wonder if that gave it kind of new life. Yeah, like, but nobody knew why it did that. They just like, they're like, oh yeah, that's coffee. It's what it does. It's what it does. They don't know chemically why or what about coffee is doing mm-hmm. that to them. Sure. So, well, we figured that out in the 1800s. So we now associate coffee and caffeine side by side. So back to this big picture of caffeine, why do we associate caffeine and coffee so closely? Well, the first thing I notice in my research is that the, I think the the word literally comes from coffee. Yeah. Like For, at least this, Yeah, like the scientific the, yeah. name. I mean, you know, the, the first recorded words for caffeine all are some way of saying cafe, coffee, coffee, you know, something like that. So to me, it's like, well, caffeine sounds like coffee. Yeah. Like and when you spell them the same in the first four letters, too, because caffeine is not spelled I before E. Yeah. Which severely bothers me. And I honestly <laughs> think it's because of the word coffee. Yeah. That to me, I don't know. That would make sense. It's also interesting too, uh, linguistically. So in German, which this uh, Runga would have spoken, right? Uh, the second vowel in words, especially I-E, is the one that makes the sound. Right. So in my last name, Eislaffel, it's E-I-S. So the I makes the sound. Mm-hmm. Um, or if you think uh, Bernstein, it's I-E-N. So it's Bernstein, not Bernstein. Or Stein. Ha- yes. So, however, in caffeine, it's C-A-F-F-E-I-N-E. So mm-hmm. you'd think you'd be caffeine or caffeine, caffeine sure. with that uh, sound at the end for the E. Or even caffeine in yeah. some orations it could have been. You would think from, you know, a German chemist, yeah. or ca- a German chemist, excuse me, uh, but it's caffeine. He pronounces it caffeine. And that's probably because it's uh, a Latin. They were mm-hmm. trying to go with the Latin uh, word or the Latin root because it's, you know, it's a scientific name. So they wanted yeah. to go with Latin more than German. Sure. Uh, but I find that kind of interesting. Well, now. and, you know, we don't know, you know, we're not, you know, buddy, buddy with Runga. So we can't be like, why did you name it this? But I mean, it is possible to note that had he derived caffeine from something else, maybe he would have called it more from the plant, that plant that yeah. it came from. I mean, he could have gotten tea in his hands and figured out how to get caffeine from that. Or uh, chocolate or yeah. you know, cocoa or cacao yeah. and, and derived it from that as sure. well. Sure. Uh, but no, he, he brought it from coffee. And I wonder too, uh, like you were explaining, that caffeine is actually pretty easy to get from coffee beans. So like chemically, yeah. if you do it through the process. So I wonder if that's why like it's just actually the easiest to find to get out of coffee and discover it that way Mm -hmm. as opposed to deriving it from tea leaves or from chocolate well also that idea of the the mythic maybe tea wasn't thought of as the the pick-me-up drink or the high caffeine drink like coffee was or maybe it wasn't consumed for that even i mean tea has been consumed for mostly medicinal qualities in most asian countries so like and, and like, you know, the times past. Mm-hmm. So I wonder, I wonder too, if it was just like 
guilt by association, basically. Yeah. Guilt, uh, what's semantic guilt by association? <laughs> well, a lot of this like association also comes from coffee's m- meteoric rise in the last century. We actually, I think, would both say that it, this is directly related to how coffee was implemented during the World Wars. Because that became, I mean, there were rations in every developed country for coffee. Coffee had to go to the troops. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that that yeah. kind of attitude towards coffee was kept up, yeah. I would say, in almost every war. There's that. Since. Since. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was the biggest consumable commodity other than like ammunitions or like right. food, like even individual food rations in World War One and Two, the biggest consumable commodity, more than food. Well, and the thing Isn't I think about insane? too, think about how it's easy to transport. It can survive basically most kinds of weather as long as it's sealed. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially by World War Two, we were the science behind manufacturing food was cooking, for lack yes. of a better term. It was in overdrive oh, compared yeah. to World War One. Oh yeah, in World War One, you know, it was still we hadn't figured out. You know, electricity was still brand new in World War One. By World War Two, it wasn't weird to have a house that had lights. So. Like we've been saying, not only was coffee something that really kept the troops warm, provided a bit of comfort, it also comes with the added benefit of keeping these soldiers alert and focused, and it's easy to get this to them. And so then after the wars end, you know, both world wars, there are these, you know, big upticks in how coffee is consumed in, like, the consumer's region of, like, just regular everyday people. So especially like after the World War II, there was the advent of like home brewers and there were these big, you know, massive national names like Maxwell House and Folgers and, you know, my personal favorite, which is chock full of nuts, you know, (laughs) but like you've got the, you know, and also these brands are available anywhere and everywhere. Shipping was, you know, exactly. They were at every single grocery store, probably pharmacy, supermarket. This is also the dawn of the supermarket and the one-stop shop idea of malls. And, you know, the the whole shopping culture changed so drastically in the 50s. And coffee, I think, definitely had a big part to play in just, you know, staple items. Grocery stores had to have it. And, I think, too, I was going to mention soldiers, a lot of soldiers coming home couldn't kick it. You know, you go every day in a war drinking hot coffee. Yeah. That, I think, because of the men who came back really got, you know, just pushed into the national psyche. Coffee is what keeps us going. Yeah, it became, uh, it turned from coffee will get you through this war to coffee will get you through the work day kind of a thing. You had yes. this massive group of of men come back from the war front and go back into regular everyday civilian life. Mm-hmm. They're going into manufacturing jobs and office jobs and all that kind of stuff. And they brought that coffee consumption yeah. ideology with them. These routines that they've made uh, that they're now just implementing back into civilian life. Yeah, yeah. And that in turn, you know, that will always sway the, the major culture. And coffee houses in the 80s and 90s really began like the new age of coffee house culture, I would say. So this would be the second wave. The second wave, yes. Um, And those became, you know, there were one on every corner. I remember when I visited Chicago for the first time, there was a Starbucks on every corner. Yeah. There are probably, in in any major metropolitan area, there are probably more 
coffee shops, whether that's local or Starbucks or local chains or something like that. Then there are pubs, then there are grocery stores, um, then there are gyms, then there are so many other places of getting, you know, food and beverage kind of a thing. I feel like McDonald's might be the only one that might beat. But honestly, uh, but even them, they have the McCafe now. Yeah. So it's like they're coffee part is, of that culture. They're part of it now. So, um, but McCafe I would even still say, in, you know, in Chicago or New York or L.A. or especially Seattle, I'm sure there's probably oh. more Starbucks per capita than there are McDonald's. So coffee consumption has become ingrained in the culture here. And it's no wonder that it's like why it's where we get our caffeine from. Like um, most of us get our caffeine as adults from coffee. Absolutely. And, you know, depending on what study you look at, those statistics are anywhere from 50% to 64% of adults in America consuming coffee on a daily basis. And I cannot imagine, we cannot imagine that they are drinking it for the taste of coffee. Because yeah. it's, the way coffee culture is, is so, it's a, it's a culture of additive. You know, creamer mm. here, coffee mate. I mean, I'm a creamer, but... I still like the taste of coffee. Yeah. But a lot of people, I think. But I think it's yeah. like it's an accustomed taste kind of thing. It's like, you know, it's the same thing with whiskey or IPAs or stuff mm-hmm. like that. People don't go like, yeah, I'm going to start with IPAs. That sounds delicious. You know, they they build their way up to it. And, yeah. that, and so that's why I think you see also a lot of people starting coffee with more sugars and creams and flavorings. And then by the time they're, they're, you know, 50, 60 years old, they're like, yeah, it's just black. Yeah. Like and you just know, a dab of milk kind of a and thing. And, you know, I think that has to do, too, with how our taste taste buds develop some people get a taste for bitter things when they're young but i think by the time most people get older bitter flavor is more and more accepted because it stands out as we lose our taste buds and so becomes the thing of like process of elimination and desperation of what can i still taste um but anyways yeah like we're saying most people in our minds are probably consuming it because it just wakes them up in the morning or you know at two o'clock or at seven or nine but, you know, like me when you're a server. But, you know, it's it is definitely a the first thing I think of is, oh, I'm a little bit sluggish. I should have a cup of coffee. Yeah, we the coffee caffeine association is just an absolute unparalleled un, unparalleled. It's yeah. completely unconscious. Like we just it's such a one with the other yeah. kind of a thing. So um, we've been making this sound as if coffee is the only source of caffeine. So there's other places we can get our caffeine. Um, we've already talked about two other drinks, which is like yerba mate and tea. Those are probably the other two most, I would say tea is probably the other most consumed beverage in the world. Yes, that has caffeine. That has caffeine. Yes. Yerba mate is specifically the dried leaves of a holly species called the Elex paragarin. Oh my God. Elex paragariensis. That that's, was so butchered, but that's the best that's I'm going to do. That's the closest we're probably going to yeah. get to it. This drink comes from South America, and it is served hot in a calabash gourd with a metal straw. So it would be very popular in Los Angeles mm-hmm. <laughs> with the metal straws. Exactly. And uh, yerba mate, I don't know. I feel like every person I know from L.A. uses a metal straw. That's just me. Uh, yerba mate actually has a lot of healthy vitamins and minerals to it as well, but it follows directly behind coffee and a caffeine amount with 85 milligrams of caffeine per cup where coffee is usually around 95 milligrams of caffeine per cup. Yes. So, so about 100, 95 to 100 sure. for coffee cup. Um, coffee cup, this is also uh, grams per cup, which a cup is about eight ounces. Yeah. So all of this standard is based on the eight ounce liquid uh, mm-hmm. measurement for 
uh, your uh, mate for coffee and for tea. Right. Well, for tea, it can get different because it can vary really kind of on what kind of tea it is. White tea has the least amount, which is all then followed by green and then black, which is about 47 milligrams of caffeine per cup. And so it's equal to about half the amount of caffeine you'd receive from a cup of coffee. Yeah. So even a breakfast blend of of tea, uh, so like Irish breakfast, mm-hmm. English breakfast, or um, Earl Grey is still going to be about half the caffeine sure. of a uh, cup of coffee. So it'll still help get you going in the morning, just not nearly as much as yes. you might expect it to. Yeah. Uh, the, the, one of the trendier newcomers to the caffeine consumption world, at least in America, is matcha. And that's a powder made from young green tea leaves. And that has near 70 milligrams of caffeine per eight ounce cup of matcha that's been prepared. Yes. So I think with that, it's because it's younger green leaves. They just have it. It's more vibrant. Sure. More abundant. Well, there's also the possibility, too, that like, you know, yeah, like the plant. I don't think it's dried. Too. I'm not sure with matcha. I've not really ever been a consumer of matcha. I've had it like once or twice, so I don't know it Hmm. that well. Um, well, either way, you can find caffeine in food too: chocolate or cocoa powder or cacao powder if it's from the cacao, you know, like chocolate um, that has about 12 milligrams of caffeine per ounce of chocolate or one tablespoon of the powder. Yes. So there is a little bit in the food, which, you know, I think that was when we were doing this research, that was one of the only foods that we found mm-hmm. um, edible things that uh, as opposed to drink. Things, sure um well and it, it's it. a good either coincidence or science i don't know which but coffee and chocolate are like some one of the best flavor combinations you can make so i wonder if that mm-hmm. has anything to do with its caffeine content maybe it, it tinges it towards tasting or like the plant i don't know that'd be interesting to they know just play well with each other yeah yeah uh, and then lastly you can find caffeine even in some pain medications because it helps fight bloat and fatigue yes so standard like headache Medication, Excedrin Tylenol, has caffeine in Excedrin, it. Midol, I believe, yeah. has some uh, caffeine in it, things like that. That's so. why that's why Excedrin is like the number one thing for migraines because it has a big bolt of caffeine and it has a lot of caffeine in it. Mm. Well, so, well, that being said, you might be like, ooh, that's not good. But like, let, I kind of want to resolve this for our listeners and I know you do too, Richard. So is caffeine good or bad for you? Yes, this is... Uh, Probably actually the biggest question that I was able to find on, like, the most sought-after question I found uh, when Googling questions about caffeine, Mm -hmm. um, other than what is it or what does it do to your body, is is it good or bad for you? I think a lot of that kind of health craze, the diet craze, all that kind of stuff, people are trying to figure out, can I keep coffee or tea or whatever caffeinated beverages in my diet? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, like most things, the answer is both. It is in certain amounts good for you in other uh ways it can be bad for you uh so i think the biggest thing to take from here is when it's consumed in moderation it's perfectly fine like everything when consumed in moderation it can be perfectly beneficial for you sure Um, but there are some good like specific uh long-term and short-term benefits uh for caffeine short term uh it obviously can make you feel more alert and focused it can adjust your mood so it's it's a stimulant so it actually it's an upper sure it makes you feel a little bit better happier um i don't want to say so much happier but it just makes you kind of it puts a little spring in your skin. yeah it kind of makes you more accepting of things i think it's that kind of flight or fight I think kind of a thing and you're like, yeah, I'm going to go with this. I think it reduces irritability. Yes. Like in that way. Yes. Um, 
So yeah, uh, because it can stimulate your central nervous system, it can also increase your metabolism by up to 11%. So Hmm. this is also like, this is probably why it was eaten with meals. Sure. Um, For some like, you know, breakfast, lunch, dinner, all that kind of stuff is because it actually helps kind of, you know, metabolize this food a little, a little more quickly. Um, short term, it can also enhance exercise performance. This one I actually found very interesting by forcing fat to be used as fuel before the glucose stored in your muscles. So this also helps prevent your muscles from tiring as easily, uh, during a workout. And of course, because caffeine gives you more energy, alertness, and focus, it means that you might not experience fatigue as quickly as you would without it. One thing I learned, um, just you know going to the gym and stuff i always i'll drink a protein shake in the morning instead of have breakfast because it i can kind of prepare to go um a friend of mine told me to just put black coffee with your protein powder because it'll put some protein powders do come with caffeine mm-hmm. and the one i buy doesn't so it literally he's like there's your caffeine and it's like you can kind of measure how much you put in because you can level it out with milk and things like that or water mm-hmm. but i definitely have heard that that yeah. drinking coffee not right before a workout but prior to a workout yeah. can help you maintain your energy throughout yeah and i i found this one particularly interesting because like i i don't really go to gyms right now because of you know covid and yeah the pandemic but either. i do yeah. i do bike to work and i do uh, run um, mm-hmm. when I on my days off as a means of exercise, and I never think of like I'm gonna chug a cup of coffee and go for a bike ride kind of a <laughs> thing because that just sounds like I'm gonna get a cramp, you know, kind of a thing. Sure. Um, but I love this idea of it forces your fat to be used before glucose in your muscle. Right. So if you're trying to, you can't like you know spot reduce fat away. It's like kind of an over a uh, whole body thing, but it'll help use that first before it start go attack attacking you know the glucose in your muscle um and it actually makes makes me think of there's a brand that i follow on uh social media because it's one of the brands i sell at where i work and it's an exercise brand and occasionally they'll post um it, i think it's like three or four women and maybe one male that do exercise routines for the company you know it's like instagram live or what have you mm-hmm. and there's one of them that every time she starts her class uh she's drinking like a little espresso kind of a thing and i'm like why would you want to have a thing of espresso and then go do like an ab workout like that doesn't sound good kind sure. of a thing and obviously she's finishing it up she doesn't like just pour it and then drink it and yeah. then get down onto the ground and start doing crunches but learning this i'm like oh she's maybe like using that to like that little kick of caffeine with that espresso shot not a whole cup of coffee sure. to kind of target her or force her body and to go like okay here's what we're gonna do during this workout it may not even be forced because i feel like when i if i don't drink coffee before a workout i feel it like halfway in i hit a wall and i'm like i can't i can't shift into fifth gear so to speak Mm -hmm. and i i wonder too if it's like striking a balance between the amount of adrenaline you're putting in your body with the caffeine it's maybe kind of like giving you that energy to fly so to speak so you can do the full workout to the best yeah it's just giving you that extra push right that extra little bit you need to like make it more successful right Um, burn the extra 25 calories yeah exactly uh so if you want to put coffee into your workout routine i would say maybe don't do it right before but having coffee before you do a workout 
is probably gonna be fine. So those are some short, short-term benefits, some long-term benefits uh, that studies have found from consistent coffee consumption, so like daily coffee consumption. Um, the list was honestly very long. Um, I, there's a bunch of percent percentages that I found. I don't know, like they, uh, some of them had studies that backed them up, some of them didn't. Sure. So I wasn't really sure how accurate the percentages were. Um, but long term, uh, it can lower your risk of depression overall. Again, it's a stimulant. So just having this daily can kind of keep you in better moods. Another study found it can reduce risk of brain diseases such as Alzheimer's and Parkinson's by 28%. Coffee consumption can also lower risk of heart disease uh, by up to 16%, risk and risk of stroke by 14%, and up to a 29% lower risk of developing type 2 diabetes. Uh, of course, that depends on the way you're consuming caffeine. So this is the kind of the big exception here. Um, <laughs> doing it through coffee and tea is far more healthy than doing so through sodas, chocolates, and other sweet drinks and treats. Um, oh, this said treats. Yes. Um, the other thing this refers to is what you're putting in your coffee. So if you're getting, you know, a caramel chocolate macchiato with extra pumps of syrup, that's just like a little shot of espresso, a lot of milk, and all of this sugar on top of it. So this yeah. is... This, that's the unhealthy part of coffee. So a lot of people are like, oh, I can still get my Starbucks drink. Well, you might have to modify that. Yeah, and uh, it, it should be noted to keep too. that health aspect. Yeah, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. It should be noted too that like, there have been studies done about some of these Starbucks drinks and they have more sugar than a can of soda. Like mm -hmm. we're now, I think they, I think coffee culture has breached soda culture on the sugar content mm -hmm. and you know that so yeah we're not we're not saying that if you have the crazy you know sugarly sugar loaded things from the coffee chains that you're like i'm never gonna have a heart attack no that's not what we're no, saying this is again these studies were based on people who are consuming like just standard drip coffee with probably either minimal to no additives right. in it uh, so this is based entirely off of uh, caffeine that comes from standard coffee. So if you're thinking, hey, guys on Coffee's On podcast that I can continue drinking my, you know, hot chocolate mixed with espresso and yeah, whipped cream every no. single day. That's not what we're saying um, in terms uh, in terms of like keeping these these health benefits, keeping these statistics it. true. Yes. In any way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there are some, speaking of which, there are potential negatives to caffeine consumption, um, but most of them come from overconsumption. Uh, so like I said, everything, most things consumed in moderation are fine. Caffeine is obviously one of them. Uh, so overconsumption or uh, overdosing in caffeine, which we'll talk a little bit about later as well, is has some side effects like headaches, restlessness, anxiety, sleeplessness, and in some individuals, increased blood pressure as caffeine can raise your heart rate. I mean, we're, we've both we experienced that, to that today with Death Wish yeah. Coffee. Um, the other big thing is for pregnant women, uh, caffeine, I'm not exactly sure what this means scientifically, but caffeine can, or medically, caffeine can cross the placenta, which when consumed in excess can lead to low birth rate or even miscarriage. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think when it says it can cross the placenta, that means that- You mean low birth weight, not low birth rate. You said low birth oh, rate. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> yes. So consumed in excess, it can lead to low birth weight or even miscarriage. So yeah. I think when it- 
when they say it can cross the placenta, that means that the the baby can absorb it. Yeah, and it's not a it's not a good protein vitamin chemical no for, for babies in utero well and absorb. this is we'll get into this later with the whole stunting of growth thing but you the thing is is that babies for you know seven months of their development they aren't a full-size human they are microscopic at some points mm-hmm. and so the way i have i've read something like this before in a book before and it, it talks about how just caffeine in in general not even coffee just caffeine that you can overdose an unborn child because the percentage they're receiving is, you know, yeah, you're consuming a cup of coffee, but that cup of coffee to them is so much more powerful than it is to your fully grown body. That's how it's been explained to me. And that's why it can lead to um, caffeine leads to low calcium absorption. So when that happens to a fetus, that is what's causing it to have the low weight I'm not a woman. I am not a doctor. We are not doctors. But it has been explained to me that caffeine causes low birth weight because of the calcium inhibited. So when you hear in anywhere, you know, TV Mm -hmm. shows, books, whatever, or from your doctor saying, like, you need to cut back on coffee while you're pregnant. This is why they say that. Sure. Um, Probably some of the same reasons you get that about alcohol or other things um while you're pregnant as well well alcohol's worse yes alcohol is definitely worse but um yes so with all that it's good to know what the actual daily recommended amount of caffeine is um and that is 400 milligrams which is equal to about four eight ounce cups of coffee so like we said uh that is uh, a cup of coffee is based on eight ounces of of liquid and in those eight ounces, a standard cup of coffee is about 95-ish uh, milligrams of caffeine. So 400 milligrams is like the daily allowance, uh, the daily maximum, maximum I should say. Yeah. Um, so that's about four eight-ounce cups of coffee. This recommendation is based off of both the USDA as well as the EFSA, or the European Food and Safety Association, which is their equivalent. Um, and they also recommend limiting your consumption at one time, so in a single sitting, to 200 milligrams per dose. Uh, this is to avoid any potential overdoses. So if you have like two cups of coffee in the morning, good. I wouldn't throw back three to four like right after each other. Myself, I usually have two in the morning, maybe one or two in the afternoon. So mm-hmm. I'm kind of splitting it up that way. But if you're having, uh, well, like even a size medium uh, cup of coffee from most coffee shops uh, around the world, that's 16 ounces, is pretty much the standard for a medium cup of coffee, which is two of the USDA recommended cups of standard cups of coffee. Right. So you're meeting the, your 200 milligrams uh, in one dose sitting. in one sitting with that cup of coffee. So technically, if you're getting, I think what it is, a, a venti, whatever the largest size from Starbucks is in like just black coffee yeah. and having that in one sitting, you're actually going over the 200 milligrams, most likely sure. of caffeine in one sitting. Uh, so try to, if you can, keep it to that 16 ounce cup uh, or smaller yes. in one go. Yeah. And, you know, I've I have had, you know, my times with no dose. I know what caffeine ODing feels like. It is not fun. You get really dehydrated. You puke a lot. It's your body kind of gets really quivery. Um, your vision will kind of get a little flighty. It kind of feels like you're about to faint, you know, just not it's not comfortable. Hot sweats. Not fun. You yeah. know, 
Not it's not deadly. That should be noted. I mean, there are instances where caffeine overdose has been a part contributed to the death of someone, but it's a safe thing to consume. Yeah. Yeah. For the most part. For the most part. Uh, <laughs> Don't again, go crazy. Again, it's all about moderation. <laughs> yes. And that moderation is 400 milligrams per day, which is about four eight ounce cups of coffee and no more than 200 milligrams per dose or single serving, yes. essentially. Yes. Wonderful. Uh, well, that leads us into another really big question about uh, caffeine in general, a part of definitely part of this health benefits and detriments. And that is, is caffeine addictive? Um, a lot of people, you know, poke fun and say like, oh, I'm addicted to caffeine. If I didn't have coffee, I don't know what I'd do with myself. Right. But the answer here is no. Caffeine is technically not addictive even though caffeine is a stimulant it doesn't activate the reward circuits in the brain which takes it out of the running for being an addictive substance uh, however if you regularly consume coffee especially upwards of four cups a day you can create a mild dependence from it so were you to stop cold turkey you may experience some withdrawal symptoms such as headaches irritability fatigue and anxiety but these will usually subside within a week so if you are looking to quit coffee or you're worried about quitting coffee uh, or other caffeinated beverages, uh, I would advise paring it down just so you don't experience um, those withdrawal symptoms, those mild withdrawal symptom symptoms. Um, so just pair much how you drink, how much you drink in a day uh, for the course of a week, and you should be fine. So if you drink, let's say, four cups of coffee a day, uh, you could do something like cutting back to three cups for two days, then two cups for two days, then one cup for two days, then none. So that kind of you know pairing weaning yourself weaning off. yourself off essentially um but it can be done in a week it doesn't take like months to do it's not like you need you know caffeine patches or anything like that <laughs> it's not nicotine like, it's not nicotine <laughs> or anything like that um so it's actually pretty easy to go back on mm -hmm. um the unfortunate thing for those of you who consume coffee or caffeine substances daily if you find yourself in a place where you don't get coffee maybe you're on vacation or on a trip and there's just no coffee available or not a coffee shop nearby or they don't have a coffee pot in the hotel room where you're staying right you might experience a little bit of like irritability and maybe some headaches that day because you're just I not think getting headaches yeah are probably the most probably going to be the, the biggest. most common um, yeah because it, it is your brain after all that is doing it's it, you know one you grow a tolerance and two sometimes and two your brain begins to need it like it's it's expecting it mm -hmm. so yeah you're definitely right about weaning yourself off absolutely um and thinking about uh you know cutting back and everything another big question is does caffeine sober you up uh wesley could you walk me through that well, well, the short answer is no. And I feel like a lot of us kind of know this secretly, but we don't want to admit it. Yeah. But I think the Mythbusters probably they did. did pro I think they about, did an episode. Yeah. Here's the reason, though. I'm going to break it down for you why it doesn't work. So caffeine and alcohol are two different things. Alcohol is a depressant that activates different receptors in your brain, dopamine. And caffeine activates, you know, well, it blocks the adenosine reactors. So when you're tired from alcohol and you start to get drunk, you'll really start to feel it because the dopamine enhances that tired feeling. But this is where the trick is. People think that when you drink coffee, you don't feel that dopamine anymore. So all of a sudden you're sober. 
because you're just that much more aware and you're not as, you know, drunk feeling as you were before. But that's not actually what's happening. So it can be dangerous to assume that too, which I'll get to. But the jolt of caffeine you're receiving is what is indicating some type of sobriety. And so your body is just essentially reacting to the caffeine on top of the alcohol. So you're not getting sober. The alcohol will still take the same amount of time to get through your liver as it does without coffee. You know, and it's arguable that caffeine is, quote, speeding up that process. But it's so like minuscule. Yeah, it's It's, you're not going to feel it in in, in 20 minutes. Yeah, it's not like you drink a cup of coffee and you're going to be fine. Yeah. So as soon as that caffeine wears off, it could be very possible that you're going to still be quite drunk. And so, yes, you will have a hangover. And, you know, I've always found if I am hungover, coffee, you know, black coffee can kind of alleviate the symptoms a little bit because it does kind of perk you up. You Mm -hmm. know, your muscles aren't so achy. Maybe your stomach might be a little settled, Mm -hmm. but it, it is not in any way, shape or form sobering you like the only thing that can do that is however long it takes your body to do that. Mm-hmm. So PSA, if you think that drinking hot coffee after you've had a night at the bars and getting behind the wheel is a good idea, it's not because you're still drunk. You're just hyper, yeah. basically. Yeah. Best so thing you can do is just have water. Have water. Some Something to eat yeah. is probably more advisable because the uh, excess alcohol in your stomach will get absorbed by the food and it you won't get as punch drunk right away. But Mm -hmm. unfortunately, no, it's not an magical elixir that makes us sober. (laughs) Nope. Absolutely not. So one question though, I have always had, because I feel like this is a major debate is, is coffee dehydrating or is coffee or caffeine dehydrating? Yes. So, uh, this was kind of that like double association, coffee and caffeine. Yes. Um, and again, the answer is no. It's not. Um, so same thing about uh, actually sobering up you, sobering you up. Uh, so caffeinated drinks such as coffee and tea do not cause fluid loss in excess of volume consumed. Okay. So it doesn't cause an imbalance, essentially, mm-hmm. of water in your body. So it, it does not dehydrate you. However, uh, caffeine does have a mild diuretic effect, uh, which means you may have to pee more frequently when you consume the caffeinated beverage. So your body is thinking oh i need to expel liquid Mm -hmm. um with this also it's kind of with that diuretic effect it's kind of it's telling your kidneys to like process water yes in your body so that could potentially make you feel dehydrated because now your kidneys are like oh let's actually like process water so we can expel it that's going to just activate thirst yes so um but that being said, many people say they feel dehydrated. I mean, I, f- like, feel dehydrated after drinking this coffee. I feel dehydrated. I'm, like, sucking back water to, like, you know, replenish that. Sure. Um, but it's usually due to other factors. It's actually not the coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you, you know, wake up in the morning and put a coffee on and have two full mugs without drinking any water, you're going to feel dehydrated because... You just woke up and sleep dehydrates you. You need to drink water when you wake up. Yes, you need to drink water when you wake up. So it's not the coffee that's dehydrating you. It's the fact that you just slept for seven. You already are dehydrated. Dehydrated kind of a thing. (laughs) Um, Or if you use, this is a big one, if you use any dairy products in your coffee, that is going to be what's dehydrating you, not the coffee. Um, 
or, you know, especially if you're drinking, you know, a latte, which is mostly milk, um, then you're going to experience that uh, dehydration because of the dairy, not because of the coffee. Uh, I think some other things that might make you feel dehydrated too is like we talked about earlier, it, uh, caffeine can help increase your adrenaline too, which is going to make you sweat, uh, or it's going to fire the receptors that says we might need to sweat. Yeah. Um, so it's going to warm your body up and kick and, into overdrive. Yeah. Type of thing. It's going to kick it up, which, you know, if, if you're going to the bathroom or if you're sweating, you are expelling water, mm-hmm. which means you're going to need to take in more to balance that out, right. which could lead to de- dehydration. Um, the other thing here too is coffee leaves a taste in the mouth. Um, like we're saying about this one, it's just like uh, this coffee that we're having right now, the uh, Death Wish coffee is just so thick. It's just sitting on our tongue, and especially when we have milk or, or cream mm-hmm. or half and half in it, it's just really sitting in our mouth. And so even though our body is dehydrated, our mouth is saying like, hey, we need water. And the reason our mouth is telling us that or our brain is telling us that our mouth needs water is not because we're dehydrated. It's because it's trying to wash this like yeah. film off of our mouth. Yes. So it really isn't that the coffee is dehydrating you. It's other factors around it um, or other things that you're putting in it or other lifestyle factors like waking up or, you know, having gone an entire day without drinking any water and you're going to have an afternoon coffee. That's going to dehydrate you. Right. Things like that are actually what's doing it. It's not the coffee itself. Right. And it should be noted too, one thing that I think I think has something to do with it personally is that, you know, becoming used to and liking bitter flavor is not something humans were very adept at until we were like cooking with it, developing it, you know, growing it and realizing it's not poisonous because thing poisonous things taste bitter as a way to warn our body to not eat it. And Coffee, I think, was one of the first examples of a, of a chemical that does taste bitter, but it is not a poison. Like, it just happens to also taste bitter. And so I think there is some kind of primal part of our mind that it's like, oh, you're tasting something bitter. You need to get that out of your mouth. Yes. Like, you need to wash that out. Yeah, and I mean, when you think about eating anything that's you. bitter or sour or anything like that, you're just like, oh, get that out of there. Yeah, it's not... Let me a, wash it out. Exactly. And, you know, that's why I think some coffees have the, like... <laughs> some have, like, a juicy adjective. I'm like, no, it's not that the coffee is juicy. It's that my mouth is attempting to, like you know, enrapture either yeah. the flavor or get it out. Yeah. Like, it's like I noticed, like, <laughs> especially with this coffee, I'm salivating a lot more than usual Me because too. I'm trying to like clear out. And that's that because flavor. we're hyper. Yeah. Too. Um, but if we think <laughs> to last week with the El Gallo b- blend breakfast yeah. blend from yeah. Intelligentsia, mm-hmm. we both said, said in our tasting that it tasted refreshing because there's so many it was so light and there are so many citrus flavors like we didn't talk anything about it feeling dry or no. feeling dehydrating because of this the flavoring it of has coffee. a fruity flavor to yeah it. and because it was a lighter a much lighter roast so yeah. it also is going to depend on the coffee you're drinking as well yeah. but the biggest factor is mostly your lifestyle and additives you're putting into the coffee when you think especially sugar or splendas and and equals and things like that (laughs) that's going to be the thing that's dehydrating your body not the coffee itself (laughs) 
So I think those were the big questions that we had or that we found about coffee and specifically caffeine. Uh, But the one thing or the last thing that we really wanted to touch on before we finish this episode was caffeine in culture. Uh, Because as much as it is a part of coffee, it's definitely grown much larger than that. Um, So Wesley, what do we have or what have we found about caffeine in culture other than just coffee consumption? Right. Yeah, we've definitely talked a lot about how coffee is what we get to every morning to have our cup of coffee. You know, it is a part of the general public's tradition. But um, we've also talked a little bit about like how monks first use coffee in, in particular to keep them awake during like the night long prayer sessions. So like it's always been very caffeine centric. But I want to talk just kind of about how we've changed how we consume caffeine in maybe the last like 30, 40 years. So, you know, originally coffee and tea were kind of it, you know, maybe yerba mate or matcha, depending on what they had regionally that also contained caffeine. But those two drinks were the most consumed caffeinated beverages for basically all of, you know, recorded history, basically up until the 20th century, you know. And it wasn't uncommon for people to have cups of coffee with all three meals in order to get both their share of caffeine, but also it was just kind of more considered a like a, a beverage. It wasn't like a morning time only thing. But after the 1970s, the consumption of soda began to take over as the main kind of caffeinated beverage consumed. But this is specifically in America, not worldwide. So um, this began a new swathe of news and media reports concerned with the raising of children with such a high intake of caffeine as part of their daily diets. And for a lot of the 1990s and early 2000s, there was this caffeine craze that took over. Mm -hmm. So, you know, energy drinks popped up for the first time and, you know, caffeinated candy and gum became really popular That was kind of specifically in Asia and European markets. The candy. The candy. Yeah. Um, But you could buy it here. And, you know, we hopped on the bandwagon totally in America. You know, and I grew up, I grew up in like the late 90s and early 2000s. And you were the same. You're only a year older than me. So I remember, you know, when we were in high school, really, the energy drink section at like a gas station was like a wall of coolers. Like. There was no end to the kinds of energy drinks you could buy. Yeah, I mean, this is where we had Monster and Red Bull and NOS and NOS you know and, and all five the five hour energy and things like that just like Any, popping out yeah. of nowhere. I mean, I even remember Mountain Dew. I don't know when Mountain Dew became a thing. I think it was early, definitely earlier than the '90s. But in the '90s, it started getting all these different flavors, and a lot right. of that contributed not just to Mountain Dew saying like, "Hey, we got to do something more than just green." Um, sure. But it was also about caffeine too. Oh yeah. Mountain Dew always seemed like the energiest. It contains more of caffeine all the sodas. Than, than of other sodas. Yes. Yeah. Per I think so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know this you know, started to cause serious health problems in adolescents specifically. Um, There were reports of people who had, quote, overdosed on caffeine and that was causing like their death. Now, what was actually happening was many of these people had consumed multiple amounts, lots of this beverage, you know, over long periods of time without sleeping. So they were not getting any sleep. So the people who did die of this, you know, kind of like caffeine craze, they were actually dying of either sleep deprivation, heart conditions caused by the energy drinks themselves, 
or a combination of the two. Mm-hmm. So energy drinks, you know, they are not good for you. Yeah. They are very, they, they can make your blood syrupy because of what they can contain, you know, just like soda. Soda is not good for you either. And, you know, and I remember as a yeah. kid having like four, five, six sodas, like just back oh, to back man. to back to back. Can to back. after can after can. Yeah, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't regulated. I mean, I know parents would try to regulate it, like sure. oh, you're only gonna have like two cans of soda for dinner or some, with dinner or mm-hmm. something like that. But like you always found ways of having more. You'd go to a gas station after school and pick up some yeah. soda or something like that. Well, have and, it at lunch, all those kinds of things. And then, you know, energy drinks started to combine things. So it wasn't just caffeine anymore. It was caffeine and taurine and guarana and B12 and, you know, all these different elements mm-hmm. that get into it. And what ends up happening is you mix all of these different non-addictive uppers together with even more caffeine and sugar that is starting to cause, you know, risks for consumers, you know, especially people whose bodies are not young and pretty, you know, resilient still. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that also, you know, the realization came around that time, too, that sugar was really to blame. And, you know, childhood obesity had started, like, or at least the the awareness the pan- of it. The yeah. Pandemic of it. Yeah. To use, you know, and then poor s- phrasing with that word for right sure. now, but, but it makes sense. Yeah. And then in the past, I'd say five, 10 years, you know, the energy drink brand has shifted almost completely back to coffee. Yeah. Like when I go to a gas station now or a Seven Eleven, there's Red Bull and monster. That's it. And then if you want, but in that same cooler, there's all of the iced coffee. Iced yes. coffee has become it's the Starbucks cultural latte staple. drinks. It's iced coffee. Yeah. Because not only is like big companies like us, like uh, Starbucks or Dunkin or, or what have you making iced coffees, but a lot of local brewers or smaller roasters mm-hmm. uh, are starting to make their own iced coffee or, or um, what am I thinking? The cold brew uh, nitro coffee, yes. like things like that. Yeah. And you know, it's easy to say, well, all of caffeine's bad because look at what it did in any way. But, you know, because I, I honestly think personally, because coffee is sort of like reclaimed the energy drink brand market and it's become OK to drink lots and lots of coffee as an energy drink because coffee is natural. It's not chemically made or manufactured. Mm-hmm. You know, it's already so widely accepted as an energy getter. And so it doesn't, you know, getting hyper caffeinated coffee based drinks does not pose a problem in the cultural psyche like mm-hmm. energy drinks did, um, especially with parents, because parents drink them, too. Yeah. So there's there's an amount of uh, what's the word? Um, hypocrisy to it when, yeah. you know, a parent says, no, you can't have a hot coffee, even though they're spending five dollars of their budget every day. To yeah. buy hot coffee, you know. Yeah. So and I'm sure yeah. like we posed kind of in the last episode is is coffee considered an adult drink too. I don't think a lot of kids are drinking. I think more kids now than ever are drinking coffee mm-hmm. beverages, but I'd stay, say they're still probably in the, you know, teens. I'd, just you know, drinking plain coffee? Well, plain coffee, no, yeah. but coffee drinks. Um, oh, I'd yes. say it's all ages um, now. I, yeah, I, I would say maybe not much younger than like middle school, potentially, ooh, but see, I, here's, the I could thing. be wrong. I have, I, I don't have my finger on that pulse as well as the you other do. thing too, is I, I think, I think this is a key difference between chains and private owned coffee houses. Your clientele were most likely more adults and college, maybe high school, but 
I see families go on vacation and a whole family rolls through Starbucks. Mom and dad get hot coffee. Oh, and what will the kids have? Oh, we'll have, you know, they'll have a, a iced mocha. That's still espresso. Mm-hmm. Iced this. So I think that the sugary, you know, hyper manufactured coffee has definitely seeped into the child market now. Got it. I definitely think okay. so. And, and it's like really starting. Do you think it's replacing soda? For the most part, yeah. For these kids, I think so. Yeah, okay. there's a there's stigma with soda nowadays. You know, yeah. there's more and more coming out about really how bad it is, mm-hmm. and you know, most parents don't want to, they don't want to spend their money on it. They would rather spend their money on, you know, coffee drinks, which yeah. is such a weird thing to me. But it's like having coffee in it takes the guilt away. Yeah, almost. Even though, like you were saying earlier, like they can you know, have if more sugar than more a sugar, can of soda. Um, than a can of soda if you're getting, you know, the right drink. But at, yeah, but at apparently, you know, we again, can't, these, yeah. you know, you know, eleven year olds, ten year olds, they're not buying just black coffee, and you know, well, even then, walking hot chocolate still contains caffeine. Yeah, that's true. Minuscule amounts of it, but it still contains caffeine. Yeah. Speaking of all of this youngsters and things and children, I want to get into our myth with it, which has a lot to do with them. Yes, and. A lot of what I heard when I was younger, especially sure. because, as I said, I started drinking coffee earlier than probably most kids my age at that time. Yeah. Um, so I heard this myth a lot. So, the, yeah, the myth is, does, ca- does coffee or caffeine stunt your growth? I was told this constantly, too. This is also, why I wasn't allowed to have coffee. Also, another reason why I was told this is because I'm a shorter male, um, about five foot five, five foot six and on I'm, a good day. I'm five seven. So, so uh, five eight. I on was, a good day. <laughs> I definitely heard this a lot because being a shorter male who drinks a lot of coffee, they're like, Oh, you're going to stay like yeah, that. I'm like, Richard, yeah, I'm okay. taller than your dad now. Like, yeah. and you know, so our parents are short. Yes. <laughs> like it's, they're not tall people. So <laughs> anyway, because, so clearly we're saying, that this myth is false. So, yes. Wesley, explain why this okay. myth is so false. no. Caffeine has no side effects on body growth and development once you are born. Now, we did mention when you're pregnant, you should not consume lots of caffeine because growth is dependent. Okay, growth is dependent on like absorption of calcium and genes, but when you're a fetus your bones are literally developing from scratch. So you can have low calcium density to the bone. If you drink too much coffee, have too much caffeine intake during a pregnancy. Mm -hmm. That is something I have seen. And it is a reason given, you know, in all the books, because I remember my mom didn't drink coffee when she was pregnant with my brother. But either way, when you're, when you're a person, you're out of the womb and you can walk and talk and, you know, if you're younger, I, you know, obviously don't start super duper duper young, but like, it might mean that, you know, you might not grow as quickly if you drink, but you'd have to drink so much coffee to even get there. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, is that growth and height is almost like it's 95% in t- dependent on your genes. It's about how tall your parents are, how tall their parents are. Mm-hmm. And that can, you know, you can try to optimize your height by having a healthy diet and, you know, you know, eating as much of the nutrients as you need while you're still growing in your childhood and adolescent years and even into your 20s. But, you know, for parents worried about the growth and development of your children, if your kids are drinking, you know, the moderate consumption of caffeinated beverages, like we've been saying, is OK. 
you know, you should be worrying more about what is in it and like the sugar, like worry about the sugar content, yeah, worry about sugar, that stuff. Sugar and the calories and yeah, those caffeine things. is not the enemy here. Yes. It is sugar on that. And so, you know, the myth most likely originated in the early research that was done in which coffee, you know, inhibited calcium absorption in rats and things like that. But again, rats, you know, is remarkably similar and genealogically similar as they are to humans. They are not humans. <laughs> like... So we're a lot bigger than they are. And you got to take that into consideration, too. So, you know, the evidence over time has proved to be like only very slight on the height of a person. They have said it can hurt you if you have things like osteoporosis Mm -hmm. or diseases or disorders where your body is your body's calcium absorption is being inhibited through the disorder. Yes. But. Even then, I've never heard a report saying if you drink so much coffee and you're, you're arthritic, not grow. yeah, you yeah. know that's so it, it it's it, it's a it's a thing to say to children to get them to not drink coffee, yeah. But and in I the think, long run, it doesn't have any effect. Yeah, right? and I think for when we were hearing it too, not just when I was hearing it, hearing it as a teenager drinking coffee, but as a child, I heard it based on soda because I think at the time. Mm. Our, this was before we, our parents or the world really realized that sugar was the culprit behind yeah. the obesity oh, yeah. and, and the health issues. We thought it was um, fat. We thought it was, yeah, we thought it was like the caffeine and all that kind of stuff that was actually more detrimental. Mm-hmm. So saying, don't drink coffee, don't drink the soda, cause it'll stunt your growth. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, that fear turned into... Um, a lack of understanding about what was really going on. Right. You know, and yeah, that's the thing. I, when I read the ingredients of soda and I was like, huh, this has to be worse for me than coffee. Like I, I did make that distinct realization in my mind at one point. And you know, I think that the idea of the whole, like don't drink coffee, it'll stunt your growth thing. I think that it is kind of a generational saying because there are plenty of kids who drink caffeinated beverages today that are younger than 10 years old. And, you know, the, it doesn't, I don't know if they're and it's like, yeah, they'll want to think that they, their height was stunted, but in reality, it's just your mom and dad are short. <laughs> like, or your grandpa was short. They like, are. I mean, my mom is the, I think one of the shortest of her siblings. My dad is the shortest of his my siblings. My mom's like five. My mom at her peak was five, six. She's shrinking now. Cause that's what, people People do do. (laughs) (laughs) but anyway long story short caffeine does not stunt your growth that is a total myth that is good to know and i wish someone would have told me that when i was 13 years old so (laughs) i peaked out in the eighth grade at five seven and i have been five seven ever since i think i've been (laughs) mine was probably sometime in late middle school and that's probably it yep yep well that is it of the first three episodes we have given to you uh the outset of this show so that's exciting absolutely i hope you all have enjoyed these three episodes and you know tell your friends that you know about it and all that but before we end this episode we are going to do we're going to start doing what we'll do in every episode which is pick a new topic for the next episode. Yes. So instead of just deciding and announcing it, we've essentially drawn from our pool of ideas. So uh, early on in this process, we just started hammering out ideas for episodes to do. Mm -hmm. And instead of just like picking one at random, we are going to pick one at random, but it's going to be drawn out of a coffee cup naturally. So we've picked a couple, I think four overall, um, different ones. And here we will go ahead 
and choose Ooh. which one that is, giving you dun, a little dun, dun, sound dun. there too of I'll... rustling paper. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were telling me to give you a sound. I was like, like what? <laughs> And for episode number four, we'll be going in the complete opposite direction of today's episode, and that is we're going to talk about decaf. Ooh, so yeah, literally the total opposite. That'll be very interesting. We'll also have to buy a decaf coffee. I have decaf. To oh, we... use in the V60, because oh, <laughs> it'll be very interesting to see what the flavors of decaf is. I feel like... We'll get into this more in that episode, but I feel like my stigma with drinking decaf is not that it's decaffeinated, but it actually doesn't taste as good as like regular anything. regular coffee. Yeah. But we'll get into that to next episode. We'll see if we're right or wrong, but join us next time on Coffee's On. Coffee's On.